Amen. Good to see you today. Welcome to Influence Church. How many of you brought a friend with you? Raise your hand. I brought a friend with me today. Awesome. I see the entire Romanian delegation right here. God bless you guys. We love you guys. And uh, so over here, you brought a friend? Raise your hand. All right, good. You're just kind of little, that's a half friend. What is that, a small friend? It's a good friend, good friend? All right, God bless you. Um, well, you know, it's, it's always great when you bring friends together around God. Just think about that. Bring friends around God. We all love to have parties, right? Well, at least some of us do. And as we found out a couple of weeks ago, I said, how many of you love party? And not everybody would raise their hand. But I want to continue with a story that I started three weeks ago. For some of you who weren't here, um, I'll just back it up and try to make it clear. We live in a cul-de-sac with seven homes, and one of our neighbors, a guy named Joe, was having a party. And it started about 3 o'clock, really loud, really fun. And it, uh, by, by 7 o'clock, it had wound up pretty strong, and I got a text from Joe. Now, I've been talking to Joe about church and God and relationship and all those kind of stuff. And Joe has, uh, you know, he's not like safe yet. It's not safe to bring Joe to church yet. But um, anyway, so, but Joe is just really nice. I really like the guy. He's a great human being, have a great time. And so he texts me and he says, hey, come on down to the party. And I look at Tammy and I said, we should go. I don't want to go. Yeah, come on, let's go. It's going to be fun. So we go down to the party and it's in full swing and, and Joe's just like, he's a gracious host. He's walking around and he's saying, this is my neighbor. And then as the night progressed on, this is my neighbor who's a pastor. And then uh, as it got later in the night, he introduced me a couple of times. I'm sure it was a mistake, but this is my pastor. You know, so we saw this kind of progress and, and had a great time. Thank you, Joe. And, and uh, on Tuesday, um, he, or Monday night, he texted me, and he said, hey, what are you doing Tuesday morning? And I said, oh, I don't know. What do you got going? He says, well, they're going to shoot a, a commercial at my house. A friend of mine has a restaurant, and they wanted to use my house to shoot at. And why don't you come on down? I think it'll be a lot of fun. So I went down there 7.30 on Tuesday morning and had coffee with Joe, and we're walking around and just kind of talking and having fun. And, and he starts telling me about his friend named Bob. Bob builds houses in Mexico as a part of a ministry to help people with housing. And he says, I love, I love him, but he's a Bible thumper. And I'm thinking, well, what am I? I mean, you know what I mean? It's kind of like he's a Bible thumper. And so I go, okay, well, that's cool. And so he's telling me all about what they're doing in Mexico, my friend Bob. And, and, and he just lo- you can tell he loves this guy, Bob. And, I'm, and so last Sunday, if you were here, I told a story about, about Bob and about the party and all that kind of stuff. So last Sunday after church, I pull up into my driveway and I pull in the garage and I look in my rear view mirror and there's a man standing right behind my bumper in my mirror and I'm going, this is weird, right? I mean, this is just doesn't happen to me every Sunday. Maybe it does to you, it doesn't to me. And so there's a guy with a beard standing there and, uh, and I get out and he goes, Pastor Phil. I go, yeah, I'm Pastor Phil. Who are you? I'm Bob. This is no lie. Now, Joe is not home. Joe's in Chile. So Bob's standing at his house with his wife, Janet, while, while he's gone. And so I said, well, I've heard all about you. You're the Bible thumper. And he goes, yeah, that's what he calls me. He said, you know, Joe is the most Christian man I know who's not a Christian. And I said, you know, I don't think he's far from the kingdom, do you? And he goes, no, I don't think so. 
But anyway, so we talked to Bob and Janet for about two hours. They came up, and we just kind of ministered to him, counseled with him. And he's been a missionary in, in Mexico for I don't know how many years, probably since college. And so we just really had a great time. He said, I'm going to be back in about 10 days. Could I, because I'm going down to Mexico, could, I, could, could you counsel with me some more? And I said, sure, that's great. So I text Joe in Chile, and I said, you're being surrounded. The posse is assembling now. And I love how the kingdom of God works. I, it works through relationships. It works through friendship. And, you know, you, you trust people with a message. Or, or when people have a message and you trust them, it, it just makes a difference, doesn't it? Really makes a difference. Today I want to talk to you about something that um, may seem unusual, but I think everybody's going to relate to. I'm going to talk to you about storms. Anybody been through a physical storm like a hurricane, tornado? Raise your hand. Been through one of those? Well, you know, depending on the on on the the gravity of the moment and how, how, how severe it was, it, it was pretty frightening. So we, when we first got married, we moved to New Orleans uh, to do graduate school, and we weren't there very long, and a hurricane was coming up, and I was talking to one of my friends. I said, what do we do for this? He says, well, go out and get tape and tape up your windows. And I go, what? Yeah, put X's and, and tape up your windows. I said, why? Because if the wind's really strong, it'll blow the, the windows out, and then you'll have glass flying through your house. And I'm thinking, where have I moved and he said, then fill up your bathtub with water. And I said, why? He said, well, because you're going to need drinking water. And I'm sitting there going, this is a bad place to live. You know, it should be a clue, you know, a clue when you see houses that are, you know, two feet off the ground on little stilts so that the water can flow underneath them, right? And I said, okay, the, okay, I got the tape. I got the water. What else do I do? Then we have a party. And I go, what? Yeah, we have a hurricane party. Boil crab, do something. I mean, it's just, just to kind of celebrate the fact that we get to live, we might live through a hurricane. So right when I graduated, I moved. I got out of New Orleans as fast as I could. But you know, the, the lessons you learn in a storm, honestly, are the lessons that relate to your, your life in every dimension. Because whether it's a physical storm or a, a mental, emotional or spiritual storm, you have to know about being prepared and how to get through them and, and what are the elements that go involved in, in that. And today I'm gonna talk about uh, Jesus when he gets the disciples and he says to them, I want, we're gonna get in the boat and we're gonna go to the other side. So I'm gonna show you some of my great artwork here and draw that for you. So they're on this side of the shore and over here, the goal is we're gonna go over here. We're gonna cross over and get to the other side. Now, the reason that that becomes important is because what Jesus says, you can bank on. The word of God is true, and when he makes you a promise, that promise is always true. So let's jump into this a bit and kind of get a feel for what's happening. What I found out about storms is some storms in your life increase your faith. You go through a storm, whether it's a physical storm, a spiritual, mental, emotional storm, they increase your faith. You walk out and you go, I have more faith now in God than I had before the storm. Some storms don't because of the way we approach the storm. And we look at the storm and what we say is, you know, how could God bring this storm into my life? How could life be so difficult? God, I thought you loved me. And so because of the way we approach the storm, our faith doesn't go up. Our faith actually diminishes through the storm. And then we even look back on that storm and say, you know what? God didn't come through then. How do I know God's going to come through tomorrow in my life? So some storms do that. The other thing that we find out is that the solution to your storm is in the boat. What we're going to find out from the story is Jesus is in the boat with the disciples 
And he basically, when they wake him up, he says to the storm and to the waves, to the wind, be quiet or peace be still. And it does. And you see, all along, the, the solution was right there in the boat, but they became fearful because they didn't have God in the boat. And in life, what happens is when we don't have God in the boat, so to speak, when we don't have God in our environment and we're all on our own, we're going, how do I solve this problem? How do I get through this issue? Well, the solution is in the boat. And we're gonna see that as we go on. Storms also reveal the size of your faith. You know, before you have a trial, you think you have a lot of faith. Then you go through a trial and you go, wait a minute, do I have enough faith to get through this one? Can I make it through this one? God, why did you bring this into my life at this time? But what I do is there's almost like this little meter inside of you that goes, I got enough faith for this one. God, I don't know if I can take any more, but I got this one. My faith is at least at this level. But what happens is every time we go through a situation that demands faith, we grow, don't we? We get stronger because we go, if I can get through that, I can get through this. Haven't we all said that from time to time? So when we started the church, one of the things we said, and it became kind of a, a tagline that we put into a lot of different messages, and I want to bring it back to you, it goes like this. You can be in the middle of a miracle and not know it. Do you realize that whatever you're in right now, you could be surrounded by a miracle, but because you don't see it yet, you think all is hopeless or all is lost. But if you live with this attitude of expectancy, if you live with this idea, you know what? I don't know what God's gonna do, but he's gonna do something because he's God. You see, what that does is my faith goes up because what I've done is I've started with this expectant attitude that I, th this may be a miracle, I'm looking at all the negative things in this world that I'm in, but you know what, maybe this is a miracle after all. Maybe this is really a good thing. I just need your eyes to show me the, the, what's going on in my life. So now let me take you to the story, beginning in Luke chapter eight and verse 22. It says, now it happened on a certain day that he, that is Jesus, got in the boat with his disciples and he said to them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake and they launched out. So pretty simple, pretty straightforward. What do we do? We're gonna get in the boat, we're going to the other side. Isn't it funny how quickly you can forget what God says to you? Because they got in the middle of the lake and they became fearful because of the storm. Well, what about what Jesus said? We're going to the other side. Is Jesus' word strong enough to get you to the other side or not? Have you ever noticed how people who come to faith in God, they, they say, I trust God with my eternal soul, and then they get worried about their finances. Now, I want you just to think about this on a basic level. If God can keep you, can save your eternal soul and put you into heaven, forgive you of all your sins, don't you think he could handle your finances? But what we do is we trust God with big stuff and little stuff we worry about. Yeah, God, you can handle the big stuff, but this, you know, this stuff I've got to manage. I've got to figure this one out. Well, God can give you wisdom to figure those things out, but ultimately, God will sustain you through those difficult times and those trials. You see, I found that God does the unexpected when you least expect it. I go through life and I go, God, I, I don't know what I'm going to do, and then all of a sudden something will come and go, and then I'll say to people, you're not going to believe what God did. Why, why do I make those statements? He's God, that's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to surprise me. Amen? How many of you like God surprises? No, you don't. You just, no, you don't. You just like worry, 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 and then you go, God came in so late, so last minute. Where was God, right? No, but it's true. 
How about this one? How many of you love trials? Raise your hand. Got, got one taker, two takers. Two takers, three, three takers. Do I have four? Okay, 5,000, thank you. Oh, no, we're not bidding. I'm sorry. But, but you, we, we don't typically raise our hand and go trials. But what if the trial makes you stronger, better to face life? Makes you more like God? Wouldn't the trial be a welcome thing? Because, hey, guess what? The trials are gonna come in your life. Some of them you're gonna impose upon yourself and some of them others are gonna impose upon you. They're gonna come, amen? Whether you like it or not, they're coming. Why not have the attitude when the trial, in anticipation of a trial and go, you know what, when the trials come in my life, I'm gonna choose to rejoice in that because I know that my attitude is gonna be a key to getting my, me through that trial and drawing me closer and closer to God himself. You see, because the word that Jesus speaks is significant. And Jesus said, we're here, we're going over here, that word is significant. He meant what he said. So when you start reading the Bible, you're reading a promise book. God's just unfolding promise after promise. He says, I'm gonna be with you, I'll not forsake you, I'll not leave you as orphans. He says, did he mean that? Sure he meant it. That's why he said it. When I, when I attach myself to those words, the words of God, the words of Jesus, then it carries me through into that life journey. And in our life, we have to raise the, revel, the, the level of, of risk in our life. You see, if I go through and I never challenge myself in the faith realm, I never grow in the faith realm. In fact, what I do is I decline. There have been times when people say, I gotta tell you what I'm trusting God for, and they'll tell me this, the biggest, craziest thing I've ever heard, and I'm thinking, that'll never happen. You ever had those moments where somebody's telling you something, and go, that'll never happen. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God go, just because you don't think it'll happen doesn't mean that person doesn't believe it'll happen. Then that person will come back to me sometime later and go, you're not gonna believe. Remember what I had you pray about? Okay, what was that, yeah? Let me remind me. And they'll tell me, and they go, thank you for praying because God answered my prayer. God did exceedingly abundantly what we could ever ask or think, and it was according to the power that worked in that person, not in me. It wasn't my faith. It wasn't my vision, it wasn't my dream, it was theirs. And God became this amazing champion in their life because they took something to God. Now, one of the frustrating things about being a Christian is sometimes not all of our prayers get answered. Have you ever noticed that? Anybody had that experience? Like, I didn't, my prayer didn't get answered. I have to live with the tension of the mystery of God. There are some things I can't figure out. There's some things I can't find a chapter and verse in the Bible on. I have to realize that I'm gonna do everything I do to press in in the faith realm to believe God, but I also have to leave room for God to be God. Because one day the Bible says we're gonna know as we have been known. In other words, you're going to see things from a divine perspective that you cannot see now. But in that day you'll go, oh, now it makes sense. Now I get it. Now I know what God was up to, but at the time when I was living in, it's just, you know, on planet Earth as another human being, I couldn't see it. Wow, I see it now in everything. All the pieces come together. The puzzle looks right now. It didn't look right then. It was scattered and fragmented and pieces were missing and, and, and things were going not my way but somebody else's way. But now, God, I get it because you were doing something in my life to get me ready for eternity, for glory, for heaven, and I give you great praise for that, God. I wrote this the other night, and I, I, I wanna just kinda walk you through this statement that I, I wrote, because I think it carries some weight in, as we think about our life, that God has a designed destiny for every person. 
Just let that sink in for a moment. God has a design destiny for you that if accepted, will exceed all that faith can imagine. So God looks at you and he says, I have something for you that's so special. And you can think about it and you can pray about it. You can put all those things in place, but it's gonna be better than that. It'll be different probably than what you're expecting. It'll probably come in a different shape and form that you could have imagined. But God has something for you he wants to do in a mighty way. But it takes faith. And faith uh, and challenges, they work together. You can't have faith and not have challenges. What am I trusting God for? I gotta have something I'm trusting God for. Whether I brought it on myself and said, God, I'm believing you for this, or the situation, circumstances change in such a way, I go, I gotta believe you for this. But they work together. How about this? I wanna grow in faith with no challenges. Doesn't happen. I've never seen it happen. People sit around and say, I got faith, and then the challenge comes, where's my faith? It's gone. So let's look at this text. Luke chapter eight, verse 23. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. He is Jesus. Now can you imagine? Jesus gets in the boat, we're going to the other side, doesn't take him long, he falls asleep. I love to look at those stories and go, do you think he intentionally fell asleep? I kind of think he did. I'm gonna fall asleep. I know there's a storm coming. I wanna see how they react. What do you think? How many of you would say, yeah, I think he knew he, was, he fell, intentionally fell asleep? How many of you go, I don't know? How many of you would not raise your hand for any reason whatsoever? <laughs> okay, got it, yeah. Okay, so a windstorm came down the lake, and they were filling, uh, filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. What did they forget? The promise. Whenever you feel like you're perishing and things aren't working, it's because you forget the promise. The Bible is full of promises. When you forget the promise, you get out in the lake and you start crying out because you think you're going to die and not make it through the situation. Go back to the promise. The, the point of return is the point of departure. You departed somewhere along the line in your faith. You gotta go back and say, I'm renewing my faith. I'm putting my faith back in God in this situation. Master, master, we are perishing. He arose, rebuked the wind, and raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was calm. Now, you can only imagine this scenario. How do you feel it's scary to be in a boat in a storm, but apparently it's more frightening to have God in your boat? And he stands up and he looks at wind and waves and says, be still. He calms them. You see, if Jesus is sleeping in your boat, so to speak, he's not wanting you to wake him up. He's waiting for you to activate your faith and speak to the problem. What we do is, because we don't operate enough sometimes in the faith realm, we're desperately crying out for God for everything, and God says, the power that works in you is sufficient for this situation. I gave you my spirit, I gave you my word. I told you when I left, all power and authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth, and I give it to you, now bring heaven to earth in your situation. Activate your faith, speak to your situation, because you're going to face bigger problems than this. There's three accounts in the Gospels of this same story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
and I believe it's the one in Matthew, that when they get to the shore, guess what they face? They face a demon-possessed man named Legion. You see, you're gonna need some faith. If you can't get through a storm, how are you gonna deal with the bigger problems of life? Jeremiah the prophet said, if you've run with men and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you fall down, how will you do in the jungles of the Jordan? In other words, if your faith can't get you through this, what are you gonna do when it really gets serious in life? You prepare for that. You lay up your, in your heart these things, the promises of God, and say, I will trust the promises of God. Because guess what? The bigger the battle, the bigger the reward. How about this? I want a big reward and no battle. Doesn't happen, right? What happens is I go, this is a big battle. Yeah, but when you get through this, you're gonna look back on yourself and go, I did this in the power of God. I survived, I made it through it, God was sufficient, his word was true, and you, you just grow into a greater reward with God and greater power with God. The enemy reveals your unrealized potential. Do you realize that when you're in the middle of a storm in a battle, you don't know what your potential is, but the enemy pushes you, he pushes you, he pushes you, and you go, wait a minute, I have more power, more authority than I thought I did. I'm tougher than I think I am. What's the opposite of fear? Courage. When you exercise courage in your life, you kill what the enemy wants to do because he is the father of fear. You say, well, sometimes I'm just not very courageous. Then fake it. I'm gonna get through this. So we were, in, uh, we were living over in the UK uh, a number of years ago, and our daughter, Jen, was with us. She was about 10 or 12 at the time. And, and we decided to take the Eurail, and we were gonna go over to Prague in the Czech Republic there. And so we got off, it was about 11 or 12 o'clock at night, and it's just the three of us. We get off the train, and in that train station, you have to walk through this long tunnel that's very dimly lit, at least it was then. And every guy that was begging, was probably intent on, on robbery, was in that little tunnel. And they were. It was the worst, it was the worst of the worst. And so we're walking along, and Jen says to me, Daddy, I'm scared. Now, I got two choices here. I can admit I'm scared too, or I can fake courage. I chose fake courage. I go, hey, everything's great. Don't worry about it. They're just, uh, they're just all good guys. I'm going, Jesus. I said, they're all good guys, but look, can we walk a little faster? Right? I fake courage. Faking courage gets you through to the point of courage. You ask, you ask these, uh, these men and women that win some of these, these uh, medals of valor in the battle, none of them were courageous before the battle. None of them said, yeah, I prepared to win the Silver Star. No, the situation demanded it, and I had no choice but to act with courage. When your situations demand you act with courage, act with courage, and courage will be given. Act with power, power will be given. Act with confidence, confidence will be given. God will always supply what you need when the demand is called on from earth to heaven and he'll bring heaven to earth in that situation, amen? And that's what we wanna see God do. The enemy increases your capacity. Guess what you do? You can grow in capacity. You say, well, I don't have much faith, then get some more. Get some more. 
You say, well, you know, if you don't have wisdom, God, ask of God. If you don't have faith, ask of God. Get more faith. I need more faith, God. Bill Johnson wrote something in one of his books that was really good. It says, promotion does not go unchallenged. If you're getting promoted in any aspect of life, it will be challenged by someone. I promise you that. It'll be challenged in the spiritual realm. It'll be challenged in the natural realm. It will be challenged. Just when you think you have been placed in a position of influence, something will happen to totally rock your boat. I've been waiting for this job. I just got this job. Now there's so much opposition. All my coworkers, they're all my friends until I got promoted. Exactly. Because nobody wants to see somebody succeed if they don't have the right heart. If you got the right heart, you want everybody to succeed. You rejoice in, in, in all of those things that happen in a person's life. In Mark chapter 11, verse 24, whatsoever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. What's the key here? Believe. Well, what happens if it doesn't? Did I not believe enough? Should I feel guilty? No, not at all. Press in as hard as you can, and if God doesn't do the thing you're asking for, and if God shuts the door on it, just know that God had something better or different for you. But don't, don't get into this guilt thing. Well, I don't have enough faith. If I'd had enough faith, I'd have seen God do something. No, that's not the case. Do you realize how many times in the Bible people were healed and they had no faith? How many times they were healed in, in abstentia? Jesus wasn't even there. How many times God acted and, and, you know, and they, were, they were fearful and, and Jesus just said, be healed? How about the guy who was begging he was crippled. He was laying at the gate. He was begging for, for a couple of pennies. And, and Peter comes by. He says, can I have some silver, some gold? And, and Peter says to him, silver and gold have I none but what I do have. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he jumped up and leaped and walked. He was asking for pennies. He didn't know he could ask for legs. You see, sometimes we ask for pennies and God goes, I'm not going to give you pennies. Why don't you ask for what you really need? You need legs. You need to walk. You need to thrive, not survive. I want to see you take it to a new level in your life. I want to see you do something that's going to grow your faith up and expand your, imp your implant in the, in the world and see what God can do through you. Because guess what? Your future is greater than your past. You see, sometimes we say that and go, that's, that's nice, but it's not true because I had such a great past. What if you were 90 years old you were exiled to a penal island, what would you think about your future? Ain't good. Can we all agree? I'm 90. I'm going on a penal colony. What am I going to do? I got nothing going. But that's exactly what happened, John the Apostle. And then God peeled back the curtain of heaven and revealed the book of Revelation. And he wrote the book of Revelation as a 90-year-old man on a penal colony. Don't tell me your future cannot be brighter than your past. Let God get a hold of your future. Give God your future. Quit falling in love with your past. Fall in love with your future. Amen? I'm falling in love with my future. I'm falling in love with what God is going to do. Look, there's bright things. There's good things coming here. But if I'm always in love with the old girlfriend, the past, I can't love the new one. She was just so pretty. See, that's why you go to high school reunions. Wait a minute. You and I dated? They were saying that to me, by the way. All right. 
Luke chapter eight, verse 25. He said to them, now look, he's, okay, he's calmed the waves and everything. He goes, where's your faith? Why are you still using my faith? Don't you think it's time for you to step into this thing? Where's your faith? Ask yourself right now, where's my faith? Just say it out loud. Right? Now, just say, I'm gonna use what I have to move mountains. Amen? He said it'd just take a little bit of faith to move a mountain. Where's my faith? I got faith. I just got a little bit of it. That's all God says you need. So, well, what if I had great faith? Then move two mountains. Amen? But start with what you have. It says here, Where's your faith? And they were afraid and marveled. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in a boat with a guy who I've respected as a rabbi, a teacher, maybe the Messiah, I'm not fully convinced yet what's going on here in in this Jesus, and all of a sudden he looks up at the wind and the waves and he says, be still, and they are still. I'm gonna marvel and be afraid. How about you? You know what I'm gonna think? I'm thinking this is no normal, average human being. That's what I think, and that's exactly what they said. Who can this be? Who is this that calms the sea and calms the wind? Who is this? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. You see, when you get in the middle of the storm, you better know who God is. He can't just be a teacher, a good guy. He has to be God to get you out of your mess, to get you out of your situation. Because watch what happens in life. You reflect the environment that captures your attention. If fame captures your attention, you'll reflect that in your life and you'll be frustrated because you're not famous. If money captures your attention, then you'll pursue that and you'll reflect what money gets when you pursue it, and that's greed. And it's not that money's bad. It's just when it becomes the pursuit of my life, it becomes a negative in my life. Ecclesiastes says, he who seeks money will never be satisfied by it. I don't get many amens on that one. (laughs) Let me just get rich and then I'll solve that problem when it comes, amen? Do you know that your words set in motion your destiny? Your words, they set in motion. What are you saying every day? Are you saying God's in control of my life? Or are you saying I don't know where God is? I have a great future, are you saying, I don't even know what to do? Your words become prophetic utterances from your mouth that your brain, guess what, they've, they've proven now the brain, the speech center of the brain, it controls the nervous system. When I say something, my nerves respond and go, oh yes, I agree, let's go ahead and shut the nerves down. And they start reacting to it. It's, it's what the Bible has said all along. The words of our mouth are life, they're death. You speak what you speak is going to you're going to become. Now science has just finally figured it out. You shouldn't go. Wow, it's amazing. No, it's not amazing. The Bible said that three thousand years ago. Just takes science a while to catch up. I'm serious. I, I could probably give you twenty things right now that science has just finally figured out. The Bible said thousands of years ago. You say, Oh yeah, I don't believe it. Okay, I'm going to give you one. Just because you ask. Jeremiah says God hangs the earth uh, on the, the circle of God, 
resides above the circle of the earth and he hangs it on nothing. So Jeremiah, 2,700 years ago, said the earth is round and it's suspended in air. 2,700 years ago. Hey, guess what? 400 years ago, they finally figured that out in science realm. We could go on and on and on, you see? Because when God's word, God's word is true. The people say, well, I don't know if the Bible's true. You just don't know it. Well, somebody showed me something. Well, you, shouldn't, you should find it yourself. Because that's how faith grows. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to grow in faith? Read the word of God. Just read it. I don't understand it. Read it anyway. Book of Re- Read the Revelation. If you don't understand it, might as well read the tough one. Right? Just start with the tough one. I'm reading that one. Why? Because it has a blessing attached to it. It says, blessed is he who reads the words of this prophecy. You mean I can read the book of Revelation, not understand it, and get blessed? Uh-huh. If only that had been true when I was in school, amen? Hey, I'm reading this stuff, don't understand it, got an F on the test, but I'm good. No, you're not. All right. Okay, I'm gonna show you this, this scripture. This is such a powerful scripture. The Lord your God is in your midst. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to take a picture of this, write the scripture down, because I'm gonna show you how to use this powerfully in your life for victory and success every single day of your life, okay? And just keep that verse up, okay? The Lord your God is in your midst. Okay, so I get up in the morning and go, God, you're in my midst. You're in my boat. You got this? God, you're in my midst. Everywhere I go, you're in my midst. You're right here. If I go into to a battle with God, I feel confident. The mighty one, you're the mighty one. You're not the weak one, you're the mighty one. You will save me in every situation because you are in my midst and you're the mighty one. You will save me. And then look what it says. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Now just imagine, he's in your midst. Imagine that this is you, I'm Jesus. And that's a stretch, right? Okay. And all of a sudden, I'm just saying, I rejoice over you, Phil. Phil, every day when I get up, every day when I think about you, every day of my life, I just rejoice that you're my son. That's what he's doing for you. He's looking at his sons and daughters. He says, I rejoice over you. Yeah, but I did this wrong, so? He's still rejoicing. This morning, Gracie Bell, who's two, she came in dragging this little Christmas tree that was all lit up with a battery. It was about 18 inches high. She says, look, Papa, and she sets it in front of me, and then she starts dancing around this little Christmas tree. I go, this is the best thing I've seen ever. This is so cute. She's just dancing, you know, doing this little dance, and she's so excited about her Christmas tree. That's what God does to you. You're like that little Christmas tree for a two-year-old, and he's looking at you going, I just love all the sparkles. I love all the branches that are bent. And then Gracie Bell, when she's done doing the dance, she's going to go show Gigi, that's Grandma, and grabs the Christmas tree by the top and drags it. Like a true Charlie Brown deal, right? And just dragging the tree over here to show Gigi. You see, what God does is he rejoices over you And then he just takes you by the arm and he drags you to where you need to be because all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. He brings you over here. Come on now. He brings you over. This is good. Sets you up there. And look at the next verse. Look at the next part of this. He will quiet you with his love. 
I'm all upset. I don't know what I'm going to do. He goes, shh, 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 I got this. I'm going to quiet you with my love. But God, but shh, 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 shh. be quiet because you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rejoice over you with singing, and God begins to sing over you. Huh? Come on. I mean, if this isn't worth clapping about, this is just God. You can clap for him. He looks at you, he says, I'm just, I'm so excited. You're my son, you're my daughter. Can I just sing over you? And he sings for some of you, every song is a different song. For some of you, he's singing a song of, you are worthy. You are so special, you don't feel special. You've been told your life that you're not special. You've been ignored and rejected by people, but I want you to know you're special. And he sings over you, you're special. And others, when he's just singing love over you. You're loved. I love you. I want you to know, if you don't have a love in your life right now, I want you to know I'm your love until I bring the love of your life into your life. I'm just singing love over you. Other ones, he's singing confidence. You don't feel you're adequate. No, you are adequate. You have more gifts and talents and skills than you know, and I'm just singing this song over you. You can just hear the song he's singing. If I was a singer, I'd sing it for you, but if I sing, it'll grieve you. But God is a, he's singing over you right now. Can you hear it? If you strain, if you lean in, you know why God speaks with a still, small voice? Because he wants you to lean into him. He wants to get close. He doesn't shout for a reason. He's not on the other side of the room going, I love you. He comes up in those quiet moments and he says, I love you. You're special. And I want to rejoice over you. Remember this, uh, this diagram we had here? You're on this side, and he promised to get you where? To the other side. Guess what? The cross is the boat that gets you from over here to over here in life, joy, power. And what we do is we cross over here on the cross. He bridges the gap between not feeling loved, not feeling accepted, not having life, not having a future. He says, it's all in the cross. That's why I died for you. I died because I loved you and I saved you. Would you just embrace the cross and then let me sing over you a new song of joy and power and grace.